Hi, this is Ben Kaspit. Welcome to On Israel. Day after day, thousands are taking to the streets, to bridges and intersections, to the sidewalk across from the Prime Minister's residence in Jerusalem. Six elections, numerous political rivals, one massive social protest and two wars with Gaza failed to do what a tiny virus seemed to be doing now. Criticism of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his bloated government has turned into a wave of fury crossing political, religious, and ethnic lines. For the first time since he took office in 2009, right-wing voters, even West Bank settlers, are showing up at protests against Netanyahu. Maxed out bank accounts and credit cards, an unprecedented economic crisis, and the failed handling of the epidemic's second wave have turned Netanyahu within weeks from an invincible political magician into a vulnerable duck, although not quite lame yet. The first wave of the coronavirus sent Netanyahu's ratings to new heights. For the first time, the Likud under his leadership was polling at 40-plus Knesset seats. The rival Blue and White Party, on the other hand, was crashing, and Bibi was once again the familiar Gulliver in the land of the Lilliputs. With very low mortality rates and a sense that Israel had weathered the crisis far better than Europe, Netanyahu seemed omnipotent even in the med medical field. It was a fleeting illusion. Instead of building on the success to prepare Israel for the second wave, he rejected repeated advice to appoint a corona czar and put the defense ministry in charge of preparing for the coming winter corona wave and properly monitoring infections. Instead, he told Israelis to drink a beer and go have fun while he took a siesta. His awakening was harsh. Over the past two weeks, COVID-19 infections have surged to far higher levels than Europe's. The promised budget increases for the health system did not materialize, nor did a professional database tracking the change of infections. In the face of a rapidly rising infection curve, government decision-making has become increasingly chaotic, often seeming illogical. Israel is now on the verge of a new lockdown, with unemployment rising once again and the deficit deepening. In what seems to be the move of a desperate man, Netanyahu decided to fling cash at the public, but that has not helped him. People are demanding real solutions and an end to the on-again, off-again restrictions landing on them daily. For the first time in more than a decade, Bibi seems to be losing it. At the same time, the chorus of whispering about events in Iran continues after a series of unexplained suspicious explosions, the most serious at the uranium centrifuge plant in Natanz. Unfortunately for Netanyahu, Israel is publicly ignoring these events, and he cannot take credit for them. Instead, he is dividing his time and energy to intense security deliberations, trying to put out the corona fire and to quash the protests. These are tough days for Benjamin Netanyahu, even as the first technical session of his trial on charges of corruption gets underway in Jerusalem District Court. In the past, whenever Netanyahu hit a rough patch, he used to predict that he would call new elections to re reaffirm his public support. This time, elections are dangerous landmine 
rather than a safe haven. Although he has no credible rival, Netanyahu understands his predicament. His Likud is losing two to three seats in each successive poll. Ironically, his weakness is creating strange government stability, with Netanyahu and his rival-slash-partner Benny Gantz clinging to each other to avoid drowning. Our guest today was a decorated Israel Air Force pilot and head of military intelligence. He is the only person in the world who has dealt with three nuclear ambitious states. Retired Major General Amos Yadlin was one of eight fighter pilots who bombed Iraq's nuclear reactor in 1981. He was head of intelligence when Israel destroyed Syria's nuclear reactor in 2007. And as intelligence chief, he was also deeply involved in intense discussions between 2009 and 2012 regarding a possible Israeli strike on Iran's nuclear program. These day, days, he is the director of the Institute for National Security Studies. He is considered a leading Israeli authority on strategic and defense policy, as well as on handling national crisis. General Yadlin will join us right after this brief commercial break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Major General Amos Yadlin, Director of Tel Aviv University's Institute for National Security Studies, the INSS. Shalom and thank you for joining us in On Israel, Al Monitor's podcast from Tel Aviv. Shalom, Amos. Shalom, Ben, and shalom to all the listeners. Let's start with your permission with the coronavirus crisis. Thousands of Israelis are roaming the streets almost on a daily basis, trying to storm the PM residents in Jerusalem protesting of bridges on bridges and major intersections throughout the country. It seems that this time the protest is all Israeli, left and right, rich and poor, and not going anywhere. You in the INSS issued a few days ago a detailed plan how to stop the pandemic and actually save the Israeli failing economy. Can you sum it up for us? Yeah, very early in the crisis, we figure out that this is not a sprint. It's a long marathon. And I described it as a, a year or two year campaign against the corona. And the, the comparison was to the independence war. And what we also identified early, very early, 
when everybody was concentrated on the disease, that this is multi-dimension uh, campaign, multi-dimension war, and you have to handle the disease with one eye on the disease, on the health dimension, but not less important, maybe even more, on the economic and social uh, consequences of, <clears throat> of the disease. It was very easy to put all of us uh, into our home, into lockdown, but we figure out that going out will need a very uh, detailed planning on a differential uh, policy. Not everybody should go out, not every uh, uh, sector of the economy, not all the ages. Unfortunately, the prime minister have done uh, the, the war personally with the director general of the health ministry without any preparation of alternatives, plan, and more than everything, execution mechanism to handle the, the disease. Do you, think, uh, do you think it's a leadership problem? Because I saw a, a feature by you in Idiot Honot today talking about leadership process. How can you explain, I'm sorry, leadership problem. How can you explain it to Niau, such a skilled and, and, and talented politician, not allowing anyone professional to help him in this, and trying to manage, it's a manage, management problem to manage it all by himself. See, you know better than me, Ben, that uh, Netanyahu is in trouble uh, in his uh, judicial front and some trouble in the political front. And he identified an opportunity to uh, gain some dividends. So on the first stage, he did it alone and then ask all the people to say, yes, he is a great leader. But this is not the way to handle such a, such a crisis. And he missed an opportunity to prepare by uh, delegating uh, many of the tasks to the uh, defense uh, establishment, which is the only and the best organization that can execute a very wide and deep campaign into many dimensions. And we lost two months after the so-called winning uh, on, on the first wave. And when the second wave arrived, uh, it was a disaster. He can't do it by, by himself. He was unwilling to delegate uh, authorities to his political enemies in the beginning, Bennett, and now Gantz. And the IDF, which is the best, we have, it has our best sons and daughters. It has wonderful commanders. It has budget. And he know how to operate huge operations, uh, was kept out of the fight, and the uh, results are accordingly. I think one of the major mistakes, and correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, was uh, was done between the waves after we managed to to, uh, to succeeded to to, to uh, block or stop the first coronavirus wave. Then instead of preparing the system, the healthcare system, and and other other things to, to do in, in the in this interim uh, era, 
I think just, you know, the Prime Minister told the Israelis, go ahead and have fun. And now it caught us uh, in surprise. You know, <clears throat> I'm coming from the Air Force. I served in the Air Force 35 years. And the Air Force is the best organization in Israel because it has a debrief every afternoon. And the second lieutenant can tell the squadron commander what we have done today, what you performed today is a mistake. So Bibi haven't done uh, a debriefing and some mistakes were done even in the first uh, wave. But more than debriefing is the, the issue of planning. You have to have a plan if the, the second wave will come. And instead of planning, he have done another mistake, you know, sending all the students back to schools, kindergarten, without limiting the number of, uh, of students everywhere, uh, allowing people to crowdly uh, uh, fill uh, halls and ceremonies, this was a huge mistake. We said it's a long, long uh, struggle. And you have to fly to curve, the curve of health. And I'm not uh, astonished from the curve of health going up, but you have to keep it with safety uh, margin from the point that the health system will collapse. But in the same time, you have to, to fly the economic curve. And here, he haven't paid attention. So, you know, Ben-Gurion have said in the, before the, the State of Israel was founded, that we will fight the Nazis as if the British uh, white paper is not there, and we'll fight the white paper as if the Nazis are not around. What Bibi has done is the opposite. He fought uh, the health crisis as if the economy is not there. And he fought, he tried to recover the economy as if the, the coronavirus disappeared. So very, very tough mistakes done under his leadership. Do you fear the collapse of the Israeli economy? You know, we, we use the, the, to say, when we are threatening uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon, that Israel, uh, if, if, uh, if they will dare attack Israel, uh, we will get them back to the Stone Age. Now, it seems that the economy, uh, if it will go on like this with the close to one million uh, unemployed Israelis, it will take the Israeli economy to uh, maybe 10 years to, to get back to, to the place it was before. I think once again, what you see is decisions that are taking every night, maybe uh, twice a night, zigzagging, changing decisions. Because what you need to do in an economy uh, a crisis is basically three elements. One, short range. Uh, give relief and help and assistance to the very poor, those who hardly can pay the rent and even maybe not having enough money to bring breakfast to their kids. This is first. Second, you have to plan how to recover the economy. This cannot be done in a speech at night. You have to, to uh, make transitions and changing profession of those who are unemployed to a more uh, effective and uh, the Israeli economy know how to take people 
and bring them to the locomotive of uh, new growth, which is the high-tech uh, industry, infrastructure. And uh, this must, again, have a plan and not a speech. And last but not least is a wonderful opportunity for reform because uh, it was Bibi in 2003 that told us about the fat man on the thin man, and this is the public sector that should be a, a reform. So we don't see him deal with the problems. The Israeli economy is strong. We started the, the crisis with a, a very good economy, with a low a ratio of debt to GNP. But if you don't have, once again, a, a strategic plan and you are uh, taking speeches according to the pressure in the street, this is not the way to run a country. With your permission, Major General Yadlin, let's go uh, to, to another issue. I think it's your uh, expertise. And I'm talking about what is happening between Israel and Iran. In the last few weeks, someone is sabotaging this state's uh, nuclear and military infrastructure. Israel, of course, is not uh, claiming a responsibility to anything, but uh, a foreign media attributed at least the, the Natanz uh, major explosion to us. Can you tell us uh, what exactly happened in Iran? Is all the, the explosions uh, came from the, the, the same place? Or we're actually talking about one major event in this uh, factory for a, a sophisticated centrifuges in Natanz? Let's start from the beginning. Uh, the maximum pressure of the Americans is very effective. And Iran is under a lot of pressure. Sanctions, uh, the COVID-19 attacks them, oil prices went down, demonstration, the killing of Soleimani, uh, Mossad taking their nuclear arcing, uh, their forces are attacking Syria. Uh, even the IAEA for the first time in Vienna has an anti-Iranian uh, resolution. So Iran is under a lot of pressure. After saying that, we see that Iran have not stopped its two main strategic efforts to reach as close as possible to the uh, nuclear threshold and to have hegemony in the Arab Middle East, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Yemen. Uh, to your question, uh, the series of explosion and uh, I think is not initiated by one uh, force. Uh, there are many who oppose Iranian going forward on the nuclear issue. It's the United States of America, it's uh, the Saudis, it's Israel, and even Iranian opposition. I can refer some of the attacks to uh, a very bad maintenance because of the sanctions, because the Iranians don't have uh, spare parts. But you uh, justly have said that uh, the Nataz uh, explosion is more than maintenance. Somebody have done it. And I think the logic behind it is the time is running out. And the most important factor uh, that has in, that in, uh, influencing all the parties is the elections in November in the US. The Iranians are waiting very patiently to a change of administration. They hope to have a better uh, 
administration, democratic administration, that will stop the maximum pressure and will go back to negotiation. Uh, they don't want to negotiate with Trump, but they hope for Democrats. And on the other side, I think anybody who wants to stop Iran, figuring out that the maximum pressure is lacking a kinetic uh, dimension. And this is the last time to do it. So once again, I have no idea who have done it, but it's somebody who decided that the last five, six months of President Trump is the right time to take risk and to escalate uh, in a dimension that was not in the, in the maximum pressure before. So I guess you agree to the, the analysis that in the November election are a major historic watershed for, for all the sides. What, what is the, the Iranian plan if President Trump will, will, uh, will win and that they will, will face their fate, you know, with a totally broke economy and, and no, no horizon? You know, my assessment is interesting that in any result, the Iranians will come to negotiation. If the Democrats will win, we already discussed it. They will have a, a, a more forthcoming partner. But even if Trump wins, Trump is calling for negotiation in the last two years. The Iranians are refusing. They cannot have another four years like the last two years. And this is my uh, assessment that they will do what they have done in the past. They will say, you know, the regime is going to collapse. This was done in 1988 uh, in the war with Iraq. They swear that they will not uh, do any negotiation ceasefire uh, agreement with Saddam Hussein, but they did. And they did the same in 2013 when the sanctions uh, were tough on them and they came to negotiate with the Americans. So Trump has sent them an open invitation and if he will be reelected, uh, I think the Iranians will come to negotiate. Can you uh, go a little uh, into the details about the Nathan's explosion? Uh, Ehud Barak said, uh, I think nine or eight years ago, that the Iranians are close to what he called the immunity zone. It means that they, they will not be vulnerable anymore to, to Israel because they put most of their nuclear plan underground. Now, this, this plant that was destroyed was supposed to manufacture a very sophisticated and fast centrifuges that could allow or enable Iran to go to break, if they will, if they will decide to change their strategy and break uh, uh, towards the uh, uh, military nuclear ability, now it will take them a lot more time. Yeah, I think there is uh, some confusion here. You're absolutely right. The uh, main uh, working uh, centrifuge uh, facilities under uh, a bunker is under, in Nataz under nine meters of cement. And over there, they can produce uh, enough fossil material for the first bomb uh, within uh, a month, within a year, within a year. 
what they have prepared in this uh, facility on, on the uh, surface uh, was advanced centrifuge that could enable them in the future when they will be installed under, uh, the, in the bunker to do it much faster in two or three months. So we haven't rolled them back, but we took from them the possibility to accelerate and to do uh, the breakout in a very short time. I think uh, maybe the last question, Major General Yadlin, if I take you back now to your first, uh, your, your, I'm sorry, your last uh, uh, spot on uniform as uh, the, the head of the military intelligence, and the Prime Minister would ask you now, do you think all what we just described here, uh, all the pressure and the, the failing economy, etc., is, uh, is uh, changing or hurting or weakening the, the, the stability of the, the Iranian regime? What you, would you answer him? I, th I think it's very, very difficult to predict a collapse of a regime. Uh, nobody uh, foresees or forecasts the collapse of the Soviet Union in the uh, 1980s. Uh, our neighbor, uh, Egypt, Mubarak, seems to be very stable and suddenly collapse. And you mentioned Ehud Barak, who predicted that Assad will be removed in weeks. This was 10 years ago. So uh, the regime is more stable than people think. The regime prepared uh, a lot of mechanism, uh, military mechanism, security service, and he still control uh, the network of the masks. Uh, people in Iran are smart and sophisticated. They look around, they see what's going on in Iraq, in Syria, in Libya, civil wars. So they hate the regime from one hand, but they are not willing to go to the street and the regime is very aggressive and cruel. Uh, let's hope that uh, under, the, under the, what we see, there is underground uh, uh, streams that are starting uh, a process to change the regime, but I would be very cautious and very modest uh, in uh, predicting regime change. Uh, before we finish, let me tell you one thing uh, that I think your listeners should, should know. The Iranians are contemplating on revenge. They want to achieve uh, deterrence uh, against continuation of this campaign. The revenge is in contradiction to their strategic patience uh, for a change in the US. But we have to be ready uh, for a terror attack as they did in, the, in uh, Buenos Aires in the, in the 90s, rocket or missile launching from Lebanon, uh, from Iraq, and any other Iranian uh, innovative way of getting back at us if they will decide that Israel is responsible. We, I think we saw a few weeks ago uh, an attempt to, uh, to attack Israel uh, in a cyber attack, but it was not very successful. Yes, uh, this is another dimension uh, that we have to be uh, aware that Iran will try. Uh, there is the advantage there that attribution is very difficult. But Israel has a very good uh, cyber defense, and we uh, found it and we foiled it. And according to foreign forces, 
there was uh, even uh, an Israeli uh, cyber attack in uh, one of the ports, the main ports of Iran. So we have to be ready for a cyber as well as kinetic attack or terror attack. And I'm sure that my, uh, uh, my people in my old organization are very alerted on these possibilities. Major General Amos Yadlin, it was fascinating. Thank you very much for uh, talking to us in, on, on Israel. We will go now to a brief a commercial break and come back with some final thoughts. Stay with us. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. The headline Major General Yadin gave us was his final remark we just heard. Israel should beware and prepare from a possible Iranian strike or revenge after the series of mysterious explosions reported in Iran lately. This Iranian retaliation, says Yadlin, can come anytime, anywhere, in an Israeli embassy, for example, or even through one of the Iranian's proxies, including Hezbollah. General Yadlin's assessment is that the Iranian regime will be willing to renew negotiations about a new nuclear deal with any American president after November. Yadlin's rate of the government's performance in Israel about the coronavirus crisis is poor. Claims that there were no debriefings, nor preparations or professional handling, handling of the crisis and recommends appointing a corona czar as soon as possible and putting the military in charge of the crisis. Thank you for listening. I hope it was interesting. We will see you here next Monday in On Israel at Al Monitor. In the meantime, this is Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Take care.